Well, our text this morning is in the book of James again. The book of James. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. You can also find that text printed for you in your bulletin. Our family's entered one of those seasons of life where everybody seems to be going in, in different directions at once. Some of you probably have experience with this. Uh, Jack and Will have just finished flag football only to immediately begin basketball. Uh, Jack's decided to throw Cub Scouts into that mix. Uh, Emma has, uh, is having winter workouts for softball and is trying out for the school play. Uh, th- those tryouts are, are this Monday. Now, you might question the wisdom of parents who would let their children get involved in those, that many activities, but that just kind of is what it is. Um, but in any event, we were talking about the new basketball league that Will is going to be playing in this week uh, and talking about learning plays. And Jack pipes up as we're having this conversation. He said, well, we never learn plays in my league. Why is that? Is, is he just in an inferior league? Do they not understand basketball plays? Why, why does this one league teach plays and this other one doesn't? Well, it has to do with their age. When you're teaching somebody how to play basketball, uh, you can't just walk, walk them out there and start running the three-man weave or, or you know, a high-post offense or whatever. They have to learn uh, how to dribble the ball, how to pass the ball, how to move without the ball. All of these different things, how to jump, how to shoot, how to rebound, they have to have these basics in place. And when you only have an hour with them every week, you can't teach all that and throw offense in. And these basic things take a long time to learn anyway. But after they've been playing for a while, they have a lot of more sense about them about the basics. They have basketball wisdom. It's built up over time. They understand what they're supposed to do with the ball. They understand where people are on the court, and so you can begin to teach them plays. They see how the flow of the game fits together. They can't pick that up just by going to the library and checking out a book, Basketball 101. They actually have to experience it and then participate in it and then learn how to apply that knowledge to real game situations. That's, that would be basketball wisdom. Now, well, why are we talking about all that? Well, the passage we're looking at today is about wisdom. And we're going to ask the question, what does a wise life look like? Or what does a well-lived life look like? Do you ever stop and ask yourself that question? What would, what would it look like if I actually lived life well? You know, often we're so busy just trying to make ends meet trying to to be successful, trying to do what's got to be done right now, trying to find some entertainment to fill in those dead spots in my life. We're so busy, we're so caught up in everything that we never sit back and ask the question, well, what what am I actually trying to accomplish here? What's, what's, What's this really all about? What should I be aiming at in my life? What would it look like for me to actually live life well? What would that look like? Now, James isn't going to answer all of those questions this morning, but he's going to get us started down the path to a well-lived life. So, uh, read with me, or actually listen as I read, Uh, James chapter 3, this is God's Word, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let me pray for us. Father, give us uh, together wisdom now as we look at your word and what it says about wisdom. Uh, Father, indeed, help us to listen and to hear and to believe and to do, to know how to apply these things we hear today to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this this morning, I want to ask three questions of this uh, text. I want us to think about three things. What is wisdom? What's the fruit of wisdom? What does it look like in my life? And then how do I get it? All right, simple things. What is it? What does it look like in practice? And then how do I actually get wisdom? Uh, first of all, what is it? It's obvious as you read this that in James' mind, wisdom is something more than just a lot of knowledge. It's more than just having a lot of facts stuffed into your head. It involves the ability to actually apply that knowledge that you have to real-life situations. Um, Daniel and Lori Bath, who are hosting the turkey fry, Daniel's in medical school over at VCOM. Uh, how would you feel about having Daniel as your doctor uh, if Daniel flew through medical school and made straight, a, made straight A's but never interacted with a human patient? Uh, he never did an internship. He never did rotations. He never, never even picked up a stethoscope. And yet, <clears throat> four years later, he gets his diploma and walks out and, and opens his office down here on Main Street. You would not really want to go see him, would you? Well, why not? He made straight A's. He, he regurgitated the information, right? He knows about medicine, but he wouldn't know how to apply what he had learned. He, doesn't have, he wouldn't have wisdom. He wouldn't have street smarts to actually put into practice what he needs to put into practice. Let me give you, an, uh, that, that's kind of a visual illustration of wisdom. Let me give you a, a couple of definitions. One pastor put it this way, wisdom is the ability to see and build relationships of all sorts, to take things that are unrelated and see how to, they fit into a relationship. To look at a situation, uh, think about somebody on the basketball court or, or thinking about a a doctor trying to fit all this medical knowledge together, <clears throat> they're able to step back and see the whole thing and then see how that all connects together in a helpful way. Uh, another author defined it this way, and this is, in particular relates to this biblical idea of what's biblical wisdom look like. It's the moral skill to understand and apply the commandments of God to situations and people. So you take what's in God's Word and then, all right, how does this apply in real-life situations and with real people? He goes on to say, it particularizes and personalizes the will, priority, and preferences of God. God's will, uh, God's priorities, not my priorities. God's preferences, not my preferences. Wisdom is being able to, to take those things and put them in to actual practice. It's the ability to look at how life ought to be lived from God's point of view. 
and to put that into practice in real life situations. And so James asks here, who's wise? Who is wise? He goes on to say, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And this phrase, good conduct, can also be translated beautiful lifestyle. Beautiful lifestyle. Let him show his wisdom by his beautiful lifestyle. Do we have any, any horse people? Have you ever just kind of stepped back in a situation where you've seen a, a horse race or just been close to a, just a large, uh, good-looking horse and just, just said, that's a, that's a beautiful animal. That's a, look at that thing. That is a beautiful, uh, something beautiful that God has created. James is saying that wisdom is the ability to actually live your life in a way that's beautiful in a way that's attractive to other people. Don't you want that in your life? Uh, Don't you want your children to say at your funeral, he lived well. Sure, she had hardships in her life, but that was a beautiful life. That was a well-lived life. Uh, Parents, what would your children say about the way you're living life right now? What would, your, what would your co-workers say about the way you're living life right now? Is it a beautiful, are you living a beautiful life? Well, if wisdom involves the ability to live life in a way that's beautiful, what does that look like? What does a wise life look like? What does a beautiful life look like? Is it a, is it a successful life? Uh, a life of achievement? Is it a fulfilling life where... Where every day you get to get up and do what you love to do. Is it an an adventurous life where you get to go to all the places that you've always uh, dreamed of going? Is it a pleasure-filled life where every day you squeeze all the goody out of life? Uh, Winning the lottery and doing whatever it is you love to do for the rest of your life. Is that a, a beautiful life? Notice how James describes a beautiful life here in uh, verse 17. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's pure. There's a purity to your life that you're able to, to be in the world and yet live in the world in a way that's, that's pleasing to God. Uh, he says that it's peaceable. That you're able to live in harmony with uh, people that you perhaps don't agree with. That, that you're actually a peacemaker, that you're a, you have the ability to enter into a tense situation and instead of making it worse, you can actually help that situation. You can diffuse that situation. He says that it's a gentle life, or the NIV translate that, translates that considerate. It's a considerate life. Uh, it's respectful of other people's feelings uh, and opinions. It's open to reason. A beautiful life is open to reason, which means you can't be a politician. But um, just, just kidding. Don't send me any emails about that. Um, it, it's open to reason. You're not convinced that you're always right about everything. But you're willing to, to listen to reason, to listen to the other side of an argument. It's full of mercy. Willing to forgive uh, and, and not to hold a grudge. It's full of good fruits. 
And you can think of the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, all these things. It's impartial. Uh, doesn't play favorites. And it's sincere. It's sincere. You're not just playing a part. You're not just acting. You're not just doing what uh, people expect you to do. You're, you're the same person on Sunday as you are on Wednesday as you are on Friday night. You're sincere. Now, <clears throat> you read through all of these and you kind of try to, I, I try to kind of step back and use wisdom, I guess. And, and uh, what, how do all these connect together? All right, all these just kind of smattering of, of character traits of a beautiful life. How do they all connect together? Well, none of these things are character traits that you can just uh, go off in a corner and exhibit by yourself. All right, you, you can't exhibit these things apart from being in relationship with other people. They all involve you relating to the people around you. They all revolve your relationships with other people. They all revolve your and my figuring out it's not all about me. It's not all about me. It's not all about my lifestyle, my pleasure, my success, my comfort, my designer life. I think it's what we try to do. We try to design this wonderful life for ourselves. James is saying... A beautiful life is not a life in which you try to incorporate the people around you into this story that's all about you. You know what we try to do a lot? Try to fit all of you into my nice, wonderful life that I'm trying to build for myself. But a beautiful life is a life in which you try to incorporate yourself into the stories of the people around you. Or perhaps more accurately, uh, where where you try to incorporate your life and the life of the people around you into the story of God, into God's story and God's work and what he's doing. <clears throat> I don't know if I should drag out an illustration from It's a Wonderful Life um, at any time, and, and, and maybe not before we've officially kicked off Christmas, but let me just meet my wife to the Christmas season. Um, what, if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, what was George Bailey's problem in that, in that movie? He, he, he finds himself saying, my life in Bedford Falls hasn't amounted to anything. Everything has gone wrong. I didn't get to travel like I want to. We lost all our money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We had to close the, the, the savings and loan. Well, we, nothing went right. But it was a wonderful life. And what he has to do is he has to step back and see what? To see all the people. Not to see necessarily the things he's accomplished, but to see all the people he's affected. To see all the relationships and the harmony and the, the prosperity he promoted in other people's lives. That's a beautiful life. That's a well-lived life. A well-lived life, a wise life, is a life spent trying to love God and love your neighbors. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in, whether you're rich or poor, somewhere in, the, in between, a beautiful life is one in which you seek to put into practice the love of God and the love of your neighbor. And you think about that, and you think about the life that we usually want. All right? Successful, fulfilling, adventurous, pleasure-filled, 
Now try to connect all those together. What, what are those all about? Those are all about me. Those are all about me. It's, it's all about me. And if life is all about me, what does that start to look like in my heart? Well, verse 16 brings up uh, jealousy. Or the NIV translate that, translates that envy and selfish ambition. Envy and selfish ambition. If I think life is all about me, and if you get what I think I really need to have to have a wonderful life, I'm going to be jealous. I'm going to be envious of you. And if, if I'm always wanting something that's just out of reach, and I, I can't ever quite get there, and I think that you're there, and I hate that, and I want that for myself, James says that's going to create disorder and every vile practice. That all starts with life that's about me. It's all about me. And so you have what I need. I'm jealous that you're standing or whatever, and I lash out at you. And he goes on in chapter 4 to say we, we fight and we quarrel, and we'll get into this next week. We fight and we quarrel. We quarrel because we can't see beyond my life and what I want. I want, I want, I want. James says, look, that way of living may actually seem wise because think about it. If I don't look out for me, who's going to look out for me? And so it has this appearance of wisdom to it. But he says it's actually earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's not a wise life at all. But a life that's able to look beyond me, that's able to look at, at other people, that values other people, that uh, tries to help the people around me interact in healthy ways, that's a beautiful life. I mean, how many times have you heard about a star athlete who they just had all this talent and their teams never won? Well, why was that? It was just all about them. And they had to figure out how to fit together with that team and actually make their teammates better. A beautiful life, a well-lived life, is an other-focused life. And so James is, is calling us to, to look away from us if we want a well-lived life and to look at the people God has placed around us. Well, that's all great, isn't it? Uh, but how do I actually get that? How do I actually get this, uh, this, this well-lived life? Uh, notice verse 13 here. It talks about the meekness of wisdom. Uh, the NIV translates this, the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom and humility go hand in hand. Humility leads to wisdom and, and wisdom leads to humility. Right? It, 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 it goes both ways. Here's what I mean. We tend to kind of all operate like, here's life. Life is this great big forest and I'm perched up in a fire, a fire tower overlooking everything and I've got the best perspective on everything and I can see what needs to be done in any given situation and all the rest of you are just kind of chattering in your lower towers down there okay you don't have as good a view of the situation as I do or, or maybe you're just you're, you're down beneath the trees even you can't see things the way I can see things and that's the way we tend to operate humility says you know what maybe there are actually people who can see things better than I can 
Maybe there are actually people who have a better perspective on things than I do. And more importantly, humility is realizing maybe God has a better perspective on things than I do. Maybe he really can see how this all fits together and what it would look like for me to live well. The humility is, is realizing I'm not up in this fire tower. I'm more like an ant running around under the trees while the forest burns. Okay? That's, that's what humility is. Uh, it involves realizing you're not God, realizing you don't know everything, and looking outside of yourself and your thoughts and your desires for wisdom. Well, where do we look then? Uh, James twice uses the phrase here, the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above. If you're running around in a burning forest, what do you need? You need somebody who can see the whole situation. Somebody that can see where you are. Somebody who knows where the path away from the fire is. Who knows where the, where the fire is. Who knows where the way out is. Somebody who can see all of that. You need a word from above. You need a word from somebody in the tower. Somebody with the wisdom to see. Somebody who can actually guide you out of the situation that you're in. The Bible says that we're actually made to receive wisdom from above. Even even before the fall, even before sin entered in the equation, we weren't made just to figure everything out on our own. We were made actually to receive wisdom from above, from God, from someone who sees all things, and who knows all things. From somebody who knows why you're here. From somebody who knows what you were made for, what you were made to do. We need wisdom from above, wisdom from God. Proverbs chapter 9 puts it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So you are actually made to know God to be in relationship with Him, to to have a a reverential awe, a a righteous fear of Him. But it's not an awe that's meant to be detached from a relationship with Him. And so if you truly want to live a beautiful life, you've got to know Him. You've got to seek to know Him. To know God is to understand how life is to be lived. To grow in your knowledge and your relationship with God is to make your life beautiful. It will help you to relate rightly to other people as you rightly know God. Now, that's all kind of up there a little bit. What what does that look like kind of practically? Well, uh, practically what that means is we ought to be seeking to know Him. You know, right now, there is something in each one of our lives that we're seeking with all of our heart. There's something that rules us. There's something that, that, that we pursue, that we, that we feel like we have to have. What is that? What is that thing that you want so desperately, that you lay up at night thinking about, that you've got to have? Can that thing bless you in the way that God can bless you? Is, is, is possessing that going to bless you in the way that possessing the knowledge of God can bless you? Secondly, uh, we need to store up this word in our hearts. Uh, the scriptures are, are, are constantly saying, uh, take this in. 
These are not just men's words. These are God's words. These are powerful words. And they have a life-transforming effect on you. So we need to be taking these into our hearts. And then we need to, to, to heed these words and believe that they're actually words from above. I mean, think about if I took my, George, my, my kids into George uh, to see him and he said, look, here's, here's the medicine they need. Go get this filled. You know, take it for two weeks and they'll be fine. And I said to him, you know, George, I've been reading on the Internet. And that's probably doctor's least favorite phrase now. I've been reading on the Internet uh, that leeches are really a much better approach to this problem. So that, that would be you say, well, that's silly. That would be inc- incredibly unwise. But that's often what we do with the, with the Word of God. We've got this Word from above, and we're just like, well, I, you know, I don't, in this particular situation, if that's really what I need to do. And so we've got to actually heed it. Um, James also tells us, as we saw in chapter 1, that we have to ask for wisdom. Uh, that we pray for it. That we don't just try to figure out life on our own. We actually ask God for wisdom and He'll give it to us. Uh, we have to seek wisdom in Christ. Colossians tells us that all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. The Gospel tells us that the only way we can know God, the only way we can know the infinitely wise one, is through faith in Jesus and what He has done. In His uh, perfect life, in His death on the cross, in His resurrection. And so we need to know Jesus Christ. We need to dig into Jesus Christ the way you would dig in the ground for buried treasure. We need to to figure out what it means to really live life with Him as my Savior and not my accomplishments or my achievements or anything else. But what would it look like day to day if I was really living like Jesus uh, were the Savior that I profess Him to be? Uh, We find wisdom as we humble ourselves. As we humble ourselves, as we perhaps uh, even today you need to humble yourself and confess, you know, I've really kind of gone off my own way. And I really need to heed the wisdom that comes from God. Um, maybe you don't know Christ and, and you're just you're thinking about all this stuff. Um, let me suggest to you just to humble yourself and to, and to process the thought. Maybe there is a word from above. Maybe man isn't the final word on everything. Uh, Maybe I need to check this out and actually think about what this Bible says before I just say, ah, there's nothing to that. Ah, that, It doesn't make any sense. Humble yourself and think about what the, the Bible actually says. And then finally, I would encourage you as you're seeking wisdom to rejoice because Jesus comes to die. Jesus came to die for people who aren't very wise. Uh, He doesn't say, get wisdom, and then I'll save you. He saves you, and then he begins the process of making you wise. He's the one who makes you acceptable to the Father. He is your salvation. He is your wisdom. So rejoice in him and seek after him. A few years ago, when, when we moved from Boone down to south of Spartanburg, we had enough land where we were living to actually have a garden, a real garden for the first time. And my parents are here this morning. They always had about a 20-acre garden that made me slave in every summer in the hot Alabama. Anyway, um, but when we were when we were getting ready to, to plant this garden, what did what did I do? Well, I, I called my dad. And I said, "All right, now how do I need to 
lay out these rows and, and how many seed, how many peas do you put in a hill and how far apart do they go and, and how deep is that? And I talked to my mom about the okra seed and she said, you've got to soak those seed, I think it was overnight, or they're not going to come up as well. You can't just drop okra seed in the ground. You've got to actually soak them and they'll, they'll do much better. Now, what did I do in that situation? Well, I humbled myself and said, I really don't know what I need to do here. And then I sought wisdom from somebody who did know what to do in that situation. And you've all done that in different situations of life. James is, is, is calling you to do that with God, with life in general. To realize, look, if I want a beautiful life, if I want a well-lived life, if I want to be wise in the way that I live, I've got to humble myself and seek wisdom from above. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, I I do pray that you would make us wise and that you would cause us to see that being wise is not just knowing what to do, but but it's actually putting your word into practice and applying it to the situations we face. Uh, Father, we do confess we've gone our own way and done our own thing and sought our own counsel. And so I pray that you would turn us to you, uh, that you would turn us to your word, that you would turn us to you in prayer, and that we would really ask you for wisdom because you have graciously promised to give it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.